sorry for ruining the ambiance with putting the light on, but do you really want to speak, hear from a, a voice in the dark, speaking out of the dark? That would be kind of weird, right? So I'm going to just read a few verses with you from Luke's account of the birth of Jesus. This is verses 8 through 14. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. This is the word of the Lord. What I would like to do with you for just a few minutes is I would like to meditate on just one phrase in this little story. I want to think a little bit about that phrase, on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. If you ask most people what they know about Christmas, religious, non-religious, whatever, They'll say Christmas is about peace, peace on earth, right? That's what matters. You get a Christmas card, very often on the cover of the Christmas card, it will say peace on earth because everybody knows that's what Christmas is all about, peace. Jesus came to bring peace. My question for you tonight is, what on earth does that mean? What does it mean for Jesus to have brought peace on earth? Like, what, what does this peace look like? Or let me, let me put it to you a different way. What did the angels mean when they proclaimed on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests? The reason I ask this is because if you look at the world right now, it doesn't look like there's an awful lot of peace. The big conflict on most people's minds right now is obviously the conflict between Russia and Ukraine, but that's just one of some 27 ongoing military conflicts that are happening around the world right now. Not a lot of peace. The last year has seen all kinds of people being very, very upset uh, in the political sphere, not just south of the border, but up here in, in our own country as well. And we saw protests on a scale that we had never seen before here in Western nations. Not a lot of peace. And families are divided. They're divided over politics. They're divided over economics. They're divided over ethics. Not a lot of peace at home either. And it leads you to wonder, leads me to wonder at least, what's up with that? God, you said that you had sent Jesus to bring peace. The angels so many centuries ago, a whole host of them were singing like this heavenly choir saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Are you delivering on that promise or what? 
So I want to think about this phrase and try to understand it a little bit better with you. And you know, sometimes one of the things that helps in trying to understand what something is, is actually thinking for a few minutes about what it's not. So we're going to think about what this piece that the angels were freaking out about so long ago wasn't referring to, and then we'll talk about what it was referring to. Obviously, the first thing is world peace. People think that Jesus came into the world to stop all the fighting. And as I just mentioned to you, there's lots of fighting going on, so maybe Jesus wasn't able to accomplish the thing that he said he was going to do, but that's not the kind of peace that, that the angels were proclaiming so many centuries ago. Jesus himself actually said that that kind of peace would not come until his second coming, until he returns. In his first coming, he was not here to bring world peace because in in Luke chapter 21 verse 10, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, until the end of time, until the end of history, nations will continue to rise up against nations and there will be wars and rumors, rumors of wars. These kinds of things you can expect to continue until my return. So that's not the peace that Jesus was talking about. And some would say, well, maybe what he's talking about is he's talking about relational peace. Jesus came to overcome conflict between individuals, maybe in families or in workplaces or or that kind of thing. And I got to tell you, you know, for a lot of people, Christmas time is a source not of inner peace and relational peace. In fact, it's a source of anxiety. Some of you are preparing to go to family meals where you hope that you get through it without a fight breaking out. And with the last year and a half or so behind us now, there are people who are divided in their families and their homes on pandemic-related issues, everything from vaccines to mandates to masking, etc. The number of subject matters that you just don't bring up around the dinner table has increased, not decreased. And actually, Jesus spoke to this issue too, and he said that his coming might make this worse, not better. There's a place in Luke chapter 12 where Jesus is speaking to his disciples about his coming, and he says to them, beginning in verse 53, he says this, sorry, verse 52, from now on there will be five and one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, that's an age-old one we all know and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Jesus said that his claims, what he said about himself, they were going to divide families. There were going to be people who disagreed about who Jesus said he was, and that was going to cause tension and, and trouble within families. So that's not the peace he's talking about either. Well, maybe, maybe he was talking about inner peace. You know, I'm, uh, I'm in my 40s, so I grew up watching Seinfeld. George Costanza's father, Frank, was an angry man. He went to a therapist, and every time he was angry, the therapist said, say, serenity now! To deal with his hot temper. Is that the kind of peace that Jesus promised, that we would all sort of live life like Yoda, having this, this, this calm and this poise, no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're, we're dealing with? The studies are that that can't be what it's about because anxiety levels are up, not down, in the last 20 to 25 years. In fact, they're through the roof. 
Now, it is true that Jesus offers inner peace, and it's true that one day Jesus will provide world peace, and it's true that one day Jesus will end all relationship conflict, and therefore we'll have relational peace. But what you need to understand is, is that each and every one of those kinds of peace is actually secondary. It's derivative of the peace that the angels were announcing to the world some 2,000 years ago. They flow out of this kind of peace. The peace that the angels are singing about is primarily, primary, and you need to get this peace first if you want to experience any of the other ones. So what is that peace? Well, notice that the angels say, peace on earth, or on earth peace, to those on whom his favor rests. Older translations use the language on those with whom he is well pleased. This is a particular kind of peace for a particular people. There's a particularness to this peace. It's not for everybody. Don't think that Jesus came to bring this kind of peace for every person. He gave this peace to a certain kind of people. Who's that people? You got to go back. Just one chapter in the Gospel of Luke to to get an explanation. And this is from the Song of Zechariah, who in Zechariah 1, beginning at verse 76, said this. This is Zechariah speaking to his own son, John, who would be John the Baptist, who would be the the one who would announce the coming of the Messiah Jesus to the people of Palestine. Listen to what Zechariah says. You, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, and hear this, to guide our feet into the path of peace. The angels are freaking out because Jesus has come to bring forgiveness of sins, which guides us into the path of peace. How in the world does that work? What what does the forgiveness of sins and the salvation of our God have to do with peace? Just this. Paul in Romans 5 verse 1 says, Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christmas peace is about peace with God. That's the peace the angels were announcing. That's the peace that Jesus primarily brings. That's why we sing, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Our primary problem, friends, is not horizontal. It's not nations ticked off with nations. It's not families at one another's throats over what seems like silly conflicts. It's not your inner anxiety about an unknown and uncertain future. No, our primary problem, according to the Bible, is vertical. It's between us and Him. By nature, the Bible teaches that you and I, we are at war with God. We are not at peace with God. By nature, we are at war with Him. That's what the Bible says. And you might say, as you're sitting here, I don't know your knowledge of Scripture. I don't know your 
knowledge of religion, but maybe you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, I'm not at war with God. I'm just not very interested in God. I'm not very religious. It's not my jam. It's not my thing. But friends, all that means is that you have not really met the real God. You have a God that you have created in your own imagination. You have a God who doesn't make demands on you. You have a God that does not impose his will upon you from the outside. You have have a God, have you ever heard this? God just wants you to be happy. You won't find that anywhere in the Bible, did you know that? But so many people believe it. God just wants you to be happy. Well, it's really, really easy not to be at war with a God like that. He's a God who affirms. He's a God who's on my side. He's a God who's my counselor. He's my God who is my cheerleader. But he's not a God who makes any demands of me. But that's not the God of the Bible. This God, the God of the Bible, he is so different. He is the absolute. He is the creator. He is the ground of being. And he demands our worship and our allegiance. My favorite carol of all the carols is let all mortal flesh keep silence. And one of the reasons is, is because in that beautiful carol, it says at one point, Christ our God to earth descended our full homage to demand. See, the Bible says that you and I, by nature, our natural tendency is to serve ourselves. Not to pay homage to Him. Not to let God be in charge of our lives. We, we want self-rule. Now, I know we're not all criminals here, and, and many of us haven't lived very wild and licentious, crazy lives where it's obvious that we're just living for ourselves. We're kind of straight-laced people. We do the right thing in most circumstances. We're kind to our neighbors. When we get out of our car at the end of the day and they're mowing their lawn, we say, hey, Frank, how you doing? Did you have a good day? Yeah. See, I'm a good guy. I'm friendly. But underneath it, there is this raging self-will. Why do you think you're so afraid to dare tell somebody else what they should or should not do? Because you know that underneath they have a raging self-will just like you. That's why we say, you do you. This is what causes the wars in the world, you know. But Christmas is about God ending the hostility between us and him. Jesus came into this world as a little baby to live the life that we could not live, a life that wasn't full of self-will, a life that was full of submission to his God and his Father. And he came to die in our place. Another thing that we could not do, because if we had to die in our place, we would not be able to come back to life again, because you and I would be, dis- would be uh, cursed for all eternity. But Jesus died as a rebel for us. He died as though he was at war with his father, even though he was the only person who ever lived that did not live at at odds with God. So that Isaiah 53, verse 5 says, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. This is is the objective truth that the Bible teaches. You can say, I don't like it. You can say, I reject it. 
You can say, I don't want to accept it, but please don't try to change it. Don't try to say, no, 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 I don't believe in that kind of God. My God would this. With all due respect, who cares what your God would do? What matters is what God says he would do. What God says he is like. And the objective truth is, is that Jesus Christ came as Emmanuel. Do you know what that means? They called him God with us. This is the objective truth that we needed. But here's the thing. It's also the subjective truth that we needed. Because even though I'm being pretty hard on you if you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, I admit, I'm, I, I know I'm being pretty hard on you. But I get it. I get it. I get why you would not want to submit your life to anybody else. We are swimming in a culture that tells us the absolute last thing any one of us should ever want to do is give up our autonomy. Why would you want to give yourself up to this one Jesus, this guy who lived 2,000 years ago and they say he rose from the dead and I'm not even sure that's true, but maybe he did. Why would I want to give myself to him anyway? It sounds like a, a jail sentence, a prison sentence. But listen to this. Jesus demanded our homage, yes. But how does he convince us to give it to him? See, Jesus didn't come to the, to the palace and get born with a silver spoon in his mouth and grow up and say to the people, do this or else, follow me or else, bow the knee to me or I will make you. No, he didn't. What did he do? He gave his life. Before you wanted anything to do with him, Jesus was willing to lay down his very life and die a criminal's death, painful, excruciating, on that cross for you before you had any interest in him at all. What does he do? He woos you with his love. And you think, can I trust myself to this person? And Jesus says, look at my death. You can trust me with your life. You know why? Because I gave my life for you first. You put your trust in this Jesus. And this song is for you. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. His favor rests upon you, not because you've done anything, anything to make you deserve it, to make you worthy of it. Not a single person here has been good enough to earn the favor of God, but you, his favor rests on you anyway. Why? By faith in his son. That's it, I know. It sounds too good to be true. And I know we live in a world that says if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. But this is the one thing that is too good to be true. And yet, if you're here and you don't know this truth yourself, you were probably invited here by someone who does. And they'll tell you. It is. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you that Jesus was willing to come and reconcile us to you. Thank you that he stood in our place and did everything that we couldn't do for ourselves. He lived a perfectly obedient life and then he died a substitutionary death so that we could be reconciled to you, God and sinners reconciled. And our, your favor rests on us. Thank you, Savior. Thank you. We don't know what else to do but to just fall on our knees as we hear the angel's voice and give you the honor you deserve. In your son's name we pray. Amen.